And who are we? That's one secret. We'll always tell. You know you love us. XOXO. Gossip Guys. Gossip Guys here. Your one and only podcast delving into the scandalous lives of Manhattan's elite. And welcome to season two, episode two of Gossip Guys Max. Chasing Summer, part five, Nighthawks, now streaming on Showtime. Andrew, I can't do any more chase. <laughs> Why not? There I can't keep so chasing him. Because there's that's the problem. There isn't a lot of chase. And I keep seeing just chase dwindle in each role, in each movie. He's like a candle. Just like the wick is just going. He's just melting. I I think you're being harsh on Chase in this movie. No, it was a bad decision. It was a bad decision. Maybe this podcast was a bad decision, but I don't think so. I think who's going to save it is our special guest this week. We have a dear friend of mine and Lily's, L. He gave us the best presence of our wedding. He is a writer, podcaster, extraordinaire. Elliot Campos, welcome to the show. Yeah. Hey, good to be here. Thank you. Welcome. How'd you like welcome. not Hawks, Elliot? Boy, like if you guys had told me that you two shot this over a couple of weekends, I would have believed it because <laughs> it made no ripple in the pond of film made no impact not even a i never even saw a now streaming anywhere <laughs> this came completely out of nowhere but not exactly a hidden gem <laughs> just it uh, should have stayed hidden and, and just been in the back of the closet and we should have never seen this yeah abu and his owner should never have gone down into the cave of wonder <laughs> I'm just going to laugh at you guys hating this movie. I think I was somehow... Well, I think I'm always the one who finds something to enjoy in these movies. Um, but I, 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 uh, clearly someone watched it, because I saw one article where the headline was Chase was saying, we got to break some rules in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a good no. No, no, no <laughs> rules were broken. No, there was no revolution happening. This was... The only good thing that came out of this was that we found out about Nighthawks 1981 starring Sylvester Stallone and Billy D. Williams. Had you ever hear, heard of that movie before this? Uh, no, no. And also a young Rutger Hauer, which I really enjoyed. Oh, yeah. As Wolfgar. Uh, yes. Elliot, did you know, I mean, because you're, you're an encyclopedia of film. Did you know about Nighthawks? Yeah, it's one of those movies that Stallone did post-Rocky as he was figuring out what he was going to do with his career before settling on endless Rocky and Rambo sequels in the 80s, like this, Paradise Alley, the kinds of things that would be on beta tapes in my dad's basement that I would never get around to watching. <laughs> and now, thankfully, we've we've now crossed this one off your bucket list. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, we... We all watched both Nighthawks. People listening, uh, maybe maybe skip to just the Sylvester Stallone one. That's what it, that's what it sounds like. Uh, Elliot and Aaron are arguing for. I would say there's more chase in Nighthawks than most of the movies we've seen. I certainly there's more in there than Eloise. I definitely recommend Nighthawks 1981. 
and we'll get there. We'll talk about it. We're gonna we're gonna go. We're, yeah, we'll talk about it after we talk about Chase. That's what everybody's here for. That's what we want to talk about. So we'll go to a little pop okay, culture so corner let's, later. Let's, okay, yeah, pop culture corner, a Stallone stable. All right, we're going yep. in there. We're gonna talk about all those beta uh, tapes that we you know fawned over in our dad's basement. So why don't you, Andy, tell us what you liked about this movie? Well, no, I want to. I want to. Well, no, I don't know if I liked anything. I just thought, like, I thought they, at least the movie was trying something. I don't know. Like, it, it failed, I think, in pretty much every way. But, like, I mean, Kevin Zegers, I thought he was great as an awful, awful human being. Like, he was coked out. Like, he, he's a, he's a perfect Chad. Okay, and I that's, a, would, like, that, that's what that's I thought. That's the star of Airbud and Damien Dark is that no that's not his name no that was that was the episode <laughs> Damien Delgard that was in a Gossip Girl it was Damien Darko Damien it was Damien Darko was the episode of Gossip Girl but I, I hear what you're saying and he was good at that and that's what I thought this was going to be I thought it was going to be <laughs> no but Stanley does I mean <laughs> it was Stanley who do people still name their kid Stanley uh I think they should I think they should. It, to me, I just think of Stan Lee now. You know, whenever I hear Stan Lee, I just think Stan Lee. Uh, which, you know, the Marvel guy. We all know that that's what's happening. But I guess when you say it, it sounds like I'm just saying Stan Lee twice. <laughs> um, Elliot, you're quiet. What did you think? Would you uh, would you pick up Chase at a bar if he said all that nonsense that he was saying? His writing was more effective than the Rohypnol they slipped in that college girl's drink. Like, they started reading from his notebook, and then I didn't come up for air again until after it was over. So I guess he could verbally slip me a Mickey, but I don't think his paralyzing charm would do it. And I think his wingman is just so toxic the Kevin Zegers character that it would be a hard no on this front. I I mean I think that's fair. I think is that what happened that they I know that they took out his notebook, but I mean he was talking the whole time, but is that basically us reading him telling the story out of his journal? Is well, that yes, the, the it was, was it not one of the girls was reading it aloud too. But like it was his voice, but obviously because he's writing it. But yeah, so that was sort of he's passed out, they're reading his journal, and then it's sort of he wakes up and he and he outs uh, Chad. That's sort of that's the linear way that that happens. Yes, but he's okay. writing the book, right? Those are his characters. That's right. uh, well, so, well, yeah, I mean, you know, somebody so slips like, him a drug, like in the in the DMT and the boys. <laughs> well, and he finally was, was able to write. It all came out. It all just came spewing out about Contavious and and Smithsonson. I'm surprised you remembered any of their names besides Contavious. Contavious is pretty hard to forget. Yeah, Contavious, Maxine, Sue, and Oliver, yeah. Uh, well, so wait. Are, I mean, because I thought that too. Like, did he – are these all made-up characters, or was he writing it after the fact, like, ooh, this is a story that I just lived? Because, well, he was narrating it for bits. Like, he would be in the scene describing right. what's happening. Even yeah, so he, – Right, exactly. clearly not there. Yeah, so I felt like he he was he was writing it at the time. He was like t having an out of body experience, and it was all coming together. So he so, wasn't ever in any of the clubs, basically. Not that I thought. No. So this always... entire movie is like a visualization of his writing, 
describing what happened to him this amazing night that he went to the club. That's what and I got out of it. He encountered these characters, these hawks of the night. Yeah, it was like he wanted his own eyes wide shut, so he wrote it. He probably wasn't even in New York. He was probably still in Kansas or wherever. West Virginia. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think that, I mean, that's definitely it. But, like, it's really funny because the whole story of the, like, the whole point is, like, you have to live your life to write, which I, I think Aaron and I have talked about it. We're all writers here, and I think we all sort of you do. probably agree with that. You do. You have to, work. otherwise, what are you going to write about? You know, you have to, it's got to come somewhere. Yeah, or else you're sort of just regurgitating the same thing or, or the things that – the inputs, which are sort of just pop culture, um, I guess. But, you know, I guess – I don't know. We're, we're also very internal. So, I mean, we can go places without ever actually going places. Um, I don't know. What, what do you think? Like, I don't know. Some of it – like, because this is a writer movie, right? And we're all writers. So I was just like, how full of shit is this movie? But also, is there anything in it that we can learn from? Like – I mean, so part of it I was into, like when, like when they were just saying, like, what the fuck do you need to do to take that leap? You know, it's like, why are we so afraid to take that leap? You know, Did, am I talking to to deaf ears here, or what do we think? I had a harder time grabbing hold of that. For me, the movie started off with these two bros who. Kevin Zegers, as you accurately described, is diving headfirst into this role of a Chad who (laughs) plays to that stereotype very well. But when you're talking about this is a movie about writers, especially in those early scenes where they're bantering in their apartment, it's just so overly written. Like dropping the vocabulary words and trying to really have witty repartee it was very cringy listening yeah, to that yeah this was this is written by some film school kid in film school we all know this oh yeah we not- we wrote this movie but we never actually shot it we were smarter than that <laughs> or did we just not get chased to be in the movie that's the that way that's the difference right so the movie i think at some point was about these two bros and then how they have to come to terms with the negative repercussions of their behavior, which is represented in a party where one of them slips a young woman a drug and has unreciprocal sexual relations with her in a bedroom. But the vessel through which that is explored is a, a group of millennials known as the Nighthawks who, let me know if you got this vibe, but when they're first introduced, they're sitting across a bar from Chase and his current lady, and they're all just sitting in a line, staring at him, watching him. They seemed like a cult of vampires or something. Like, his name is Contavious. It sounds like he's been alive for hundreds of years. Like, this very much seemed like a movie where they were going to be predators at first. But then it goes deeper into Contavious's backstory, and I think it just derails the focus. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's like it's definitely they definitely felt like vampires from like the originals or something or vampire diaries. But like yeah, they were trying to be like it was trying. The guy was like trying to write his own Shakespeare. That's what he was trying to do when he wrote this movie. Who was the writer, Andy? What's his name? Create his own genre. All right. He was trying to you know make a ripple. He was trying. (laughs) (laughs) But without substance, it doesn't matter. And that's what that's what it's about. Without substance, it doesn't matter. Right, and I think. I mean, there isn't any substance to this movie. I, I agree. I'm just trying to, like, yeah. rather than just say this movie sucks and move on, uh, figure out something we can get from it. But I think the biggest problem is that, yeah, it's about these writers trying to be very intelligent or just the writer, but it's like they're using the vessel of rape, you know, and just, like, it's not told through her perspective at all. And it's just... It, yeah, it's sort of, it made me uncomfortable for sure. And I was sort of like, one of the things was like, oh, I wish we had, well, I guess I'm glad that we didn't have a woman watch this this with us and then talk about it because I think it just would have been insulting to do that. Um, so I don't know. What? Okay. Once we get all of Kentavious's backstory about how he's this musical genius who wants to create his own genre of music... <laughs> Uh, we get to this thing where they are like they interview Chase and Chad separately right like trying to figure out who the actual rapist was well that's if we're that's why I'm like wondering like did just Chase's character actually exist or is he just writing himself as Chad like when does it when does the thing split off so are you saying that Chad and Chase are the same person Ooh, I well, I'm, not su- I'm, I'm not sure I mean, aren't they all him if he's writing it? Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, if he is writing it, then it's sort of like a chicken and the egg. Like, how it doesn't make sense, but I don't know where it starts, you know, where the fiction starts and, well, it's all fiction, but, like, where the actual sort of story that he's creating starts and where it, what's the reality of this film, I guess, is my question. I, I'm not I, entirely sure. I think the, the entire story uh, that he created... As it was our the movie. That's the movie. The story is the movie. I don't think we see him create, create, start creating. You want to see him in West Virginia in his dormitory trying to figure out how to do his creative uh, writing <laughs> class. You want to see him take that drug that puts him in this place. We just didn't see that. I, I, I think I, I, I thank people because it was only ninety minutes. So that's fine. <laughs> I guess actually. If it is just a fever dream of a writer, like, coming up with this project and being, oh, my God, thinking he's reinventing himself, it actually makes sense that he would cast himself as Chase, right? Like, you, like this, this asshole writer thinks he's, you know, gorgeous and sexy like Chase, right? Yeah. yeah. I guess that like, makes sense. He's writing himself as a Gossip Girl star instead of somebody who looks like one of us. <laughs> exactly. And, but it, it yeah, like... I don't know. I okay. So we, we talked about Chase's choices and Chase's chances. Th- those are the the alliterative things that you brought up, and that I, I mean. And yeah, we can question both of those. I I think I see why he took this choice because it's we're, he's theoretically given more to do than we normally see him do. But a lot of like you said, he sort of he does always tend to recede in the background. Even in this, he's sort of like a voyeur in his own movie. It's such a weird <laughs> yeah, yeah. thing. That, fucking happening where he just watches other people do his performance literally in this case or like 
they are him, like, but a better, it's, it's just so weird uh, that that keeps happening. Yeah, I, this is the only movie I've seen him in where I know that it's him. I looked his resume up, and apparently he was in What to Expect When You're Expecting and The Covenant, but didn't make an impression with me at all in those films. The only thing I know him from is reading the behind the scenes about the Lethal Weapon TV show. So I come into this expecting him to be a total rageaholic. And like you said, he's a voyeur. He almost drops out of the movie for a significant portion because all of a sudden we're seeing how Contavious becomes a music superstar and his <laughs> sister is nagging him because he's playing sold out concerts. But what does it mean, man? Like, where are you going with this? Your, your financer doesn't even know. I mean, yeah, they're only six months into a band. Again, they're only six months into a band and they're like selling out shows and yeah he's not really going to change the world just yet well i didn't get that they said that they were making so much money and they were so huge but the shows that we saw were like in a gym or like in a bar and they looked very small to me oh no i thought they were in like a, a, a dorm i thought they were in like a banquet hall kind of and for the dorm i thought they were playing at colleges well that's what i'm saying yeah how can if that's the exactly they're playing a college show, but they're saying that they're famous, like what? Like how are they? They think they're the Beatles already after six months. Like how is he actually making enough money to get that jewelry or all these things? And, and also that, to buy a club, is it just Oliver because he's rich? Yeah, that actually confused me that it was getting his sister jewelry because usually you get that for like your girlfriend, you know. So for yeah. a lot of the movie. I wasn't sure if she was his girlfriend or his sister. They had a thing where he actually had to say, I think he said, or she said brother to him in like a way that you don't just say, <laughs> like you don't call your brother brother like that. You just say like, like but I think they put that in because people probably have that question of like, wait, who the fuck is this woman? <laughs> um, I think that's a natural way of speaking, friend Andy. <laughs> actually we, yeah you're right we, we should continue the, we should continue this um i don't know like when it opened it definitely felt like a a, a weird gossip girl episode to me yeah it felt like a, a new york bro movie and that's not what happened well i mean a new york bro movie where someone well i don't know i don't want it to be about the bros and someone raped someone. That's not a movie I want to see. No, but no. There is, there is something to, well, I don't know. Like, not this, like, he said or he said sort of thing, or they're two sides of the same person. I'm not sure, but it doesn't really come across. But I feel like there is a story in that if it's two bros and they have a terrible night, you know, and they make mistakes and then they fucking pay for it, basically, or, or you know, at least come to justice in some way. But... Uh, that's yeah, not what this it, is. It could totally be a movie about toxic masculinity. Like, that's right. very basic at this point, but it sets up that, okay, here are the two main characters, and especially because the writer-director, he comes from producing Broadway shows that have won Tonys and stuff. Like, it definitely started out like one of those movies where, all right, you don't have to like these characters. It's just that we're going to follow them and see how they're 
behavior affects other people. And that's supposed to be why Contavious is confronting them because he's rightfully very angry that somebody raped his sister and he wants to get to the bottom of it. But I think that the writer, he did that thing where you like really explore the backstory of all your characters. And normally that's a totally fine exercise to make sure that your characters are three-dimensional on the page, but you don't have to put all that material in the movie. And I feel like he came up with, oh yeah, Contavious, he's going to be this college prodigy who gets to play at Carnegie Hall or whatever when the main singer is out sick. Genius guy. And then that kind of has nothing to do with the main point at hand, which is that uh, somebody raped his sister. Like that's in terms of the function of the story that we started with at the very beginning, it just feels like it's two ideas at combat here. And then when it all comes together in the ending, I mean, this movie just stopped. Like it was just over. And I I was just like... Happy. I I wasn't even sure what happened. And it was like kind of late and I just tapped out. I'm sure Andy and Aaron will tell me. Oh, no, no, no! That's how it ended. That's exactly how yeah. it ended. Yeah, it ended, and we saw the fucking Nighthawks. Like, and yeah, then, uh, yeah, no, and no, there, and that's how, and that's how the the book ends. That's how the movie ends. That's how the writer writes, where it just kind of ends, leaving you with nothing. Yeah. If everyone has AIDS, no one has AIDS, right? Yeah. If everyone has COVID, no one has COVID. Heard of me, baby. <laughs> Yeah, I'm Kevin Zegers, man. We should all listen to him. I have to admit, I thought that line was, I mean, it's a terrible, it's like, I don't know. I thought so, it was a great line for so awful and great. Yeah, that first scene was just awful and great at the same time. Yeah, it was a, that was a good scene. That's what, if we could have had a whole hour and a half of just these guys being awful, but not completely to the point where someone's exacting revenge on them, and that's what the movie becomes, maybe... We could have had more fun. Well, actually, I was actually thinking that it might have been better if it was just them being awful, and then the, they weren't necessarily vampires, but, like, you know those masks? Those were kind of cool. Like, if they just fucking tortured them or did whatever they wanted and ruined Chad and Stanley's life, like, I would watch that movie. Uh, and that's sort of what happened, but the, it was sort of, I mean, obviously muddied in Contavious, the saga of Contavious that no one cares about, unfortunately. Poor Contavious. I mean, but what's I think- Stanley going to do now? Because he's staying at Kevin Zeger's place. He can't just stay there now that he left him for dead. But does he exist, right? Like, <laughs> does, yeah, yeah, does he exist? Because he's still in his West Virginia house? Is that, like, he's poor and, like, he grew up in a rural area poor, and he's not going to do that again. Uh, that's all we, that was probably the only true thing from the writer in this Yeah. No, there was there was there was a lot of alternate opening sequences. There was where he's still in his dormitory writing, where he's still at home in West Virginia writing, where he's in like a shitty New York cockroach infested apartment. But I, I don't think we're gonna just keep going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um Alright, let's go. Yeah, I think those are the opening sequences that we didn't see. And I think it's a choose your own opening sequence to how this movie gets started. 
we would choose not to start it, right? Is that accurate? Yeah, but then we wouldn't have part five of Chasing Summer. Yeah, and, and okay, so here, here we go. Questions, questions. Questions, have please. You, have, have any of us ever paid to get into a club? Quick, we're doing rapid fire here. No. No. All right. Has anyone ever ordered a vodka soda, the, the perfect drink you order after college when you're trying to save your calories? Uh, n- no. I know. I don't think so. No, I I was more rum and coke in the early's. Oh, I'm still rum and coke. Yeah. And I mean, Aaron still is too. He yeah. Five during the boys. Uh, <laughs> Good. Uh, I I definitely had a I had a phase where I didn't want to have like sugary drinks, so I you know I I did I did do the vodka soda douchebag thing for a little bit, but it was mostly also because it was cheap. It was in that thing where I didn't want to buy a real drink. So I went with vodka soda, but it's the worst drink you could order. It's yeah, I don't like gross. vodka. That's the yeah, I'm not a big vodka guy. I mean, vodka has no flavor. That's the only. It's 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 what you drink in college when you want to mix something. It's not most good cocktails don't involve vodka because it, it doesn't impart any flavor or texture or anything to it. Um, so it's it's as empty as the movie. The vodka soda is the perfect drink Ooh. for this movie. Um. Let me see. Yeah, I just had a, a a line in my notes that just said "so cynical and gross." I think that's pretty accurate. Um, okay, the best best sequence for me, or best thing that I actually thought was like, oh, "Okay, I'm with you here," was when he met Caroline and they were talking about the fake text. I mean, it's not like we're breaking new ground here, but I think we've all done the fake text and that exact elevator thing, and, and the idea that we're also afraid of appearing alone. I thought there was something there. I was like, yeah. okay, we got something interesting. Yeah, we've all done I, that, that, I think. That was actually an example that I was going to cite of how painful the dialogue in this movie <laughs> is because Chase does that thing where he calls out what she's doing and she congratulates him on being aware of what they're doing. And so they're both kind of like above the common people who do this kind of stuff. And it just felt so writerly. Like instead of, doing a scene he's like commenting on the kinds of scenes that you see in these kind of movies where the characters are kind of like constantly patting themselves on the back because they can spot cliches a mile away and yeah it's just not endearing at all it's really just condescending and patronizing no actually yeah you're right (laughs) (laughs) okay i I have a question i have a question go for it um, what is your Yankees themed drink? Ooh. Yankees themed drink. I mean, I don't, I'm not a Yankees fan, so it'd probably just be fuck the Yankees. Like, <laughs> I, like I don't know. Like, uh, and the Yankees. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Aaron? Did you have one? Uh, probably Mr. November. A Derek Jeter classic? Yeah. Um, What would be be in it? All of his fake gold gloves? I mean, they're real, but he shouldn't have gotten them. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Okay, we're getting a little bitter, Andy. All right, I touched something. Let's, uh... Well, no, no, he's he's overrated as a defender. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I'm not sure what's in it, but I want to know what's in that murderer's row, because that's what happened. He had that murderer's row because she ordered for him. Got that murderer's row, and then something happened. 
And she had the great Bambino. Yeah, that was when, that's when it started, reality started to slip. And I mean, yeah, it, it definitely wasn't just being drunk. Um, but I was, and then another thing is when you have absent, if it's legitimate absent, there is some sort of uh, psycho. Yeah, the green fairy. Properties. So that was going to be my question is, who was that absent? I have not, but I have some in the bar here. Well, live on air. Let's do it. Um, I've had I've had both. I think I've had absinthe, but like they only sell it from like Israel or something. I had a friend who came back from Israel with it, and like it was sort of like you had to burn burn it somewhat. I don't know. It was like a crazy thing. I was drunk. It was college. Um, yeah, I think like I you kind of like melt the sugar over it or something. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't remember any hallucinate like genic things happening, but I've had absinthe a lot in like a Sazerac, like, and that's, and that's just a drink you can order mm-hmm. at the bar. And it's, I mean, it's just delicious. It's not like going to take you to Nighthawks. <laughs> but that's where we want to be. We want to be in Nighthawks. Well, I was going to ask, do either of you want to go to the pink bar or Nighthawks bar? Oh, the pink bar. Was there a difference? Yeah, Pink Bar was the pink, the first, the second one. Like, he started at a club, and then they went to the Pink Bar, which is where they ordered the Yankees drinks. Yeah, it's like more and of a lounge. The Nighthawks where they were wearing, like, those crazy outfits, and the woman was, like, dancing. Yeah, there was, wasn't there, like, a tree in the middle? Well, I'll go to that one. At least they'll be memorable. Yeah, I mean, I would go to both. Like, I was into both of those bars, for sure. Um, although, I mean, Pink Bar, when, he, when they entered, everyone was frozen in place. And it was like... I mean, he was smitten by our, our lady Caroline here, who was just lapping up every dumb shit that he said. <laughs> yeah, it's his story. He's going to write what he wants to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think this is the first movie that made me glad that I was in. I was just like, oh, God, I'm so glad I'm here. Yeah, I don't. I'm I'm, I'm kind of over the club scene. I think yeah, we're. All, I'm glad you're there too. We're we're all over. I think we're too old for it. We're too old. Like, would we have liked this movie when we were 18? God, I hope not. Yes. Uh, no, this movie felt like from the the one book from that one guy. You know, I hope they serve beer in hell. And it just like it was just so broy and just so chatty and so gross. It just wasn't. This this wasn't. Who's interested in watching this? Who what, who was the audience? Who's the audience for this? I mean, I guess it's people that have a Gossip Girl podcast focusing on Chase Crawford. So there's like two people. They in the got world. us. <laughs> they found us. <laughs> you know, I I, I I actually realized maybe your microphone is such a, a like hates this movie so much that it just doesn't, doesn't want to. <laughs> I think that's I think that's the thing. It's just like it cannot handle. Any more Nighthawks. Uh, so well, is this a perfect time to go to our sponsor then? I was just going to ask, before we go to our sponsor, do we have any last thoughts about Chase, about Nighthawks, before we, you know, chase it with a different drink and a different movie? No, I think that's it for Nighthawks. You know, just like this movie, I think it would be great just to have an abrupt ending and a hard out. <laughs> All right, Aaron, we're back. Let's Tell me about Stallone. Tell me... Tell me why we're doing this. Okay, so in in a, a serendipitous moment, people, there are two Nighthawks on Showtime. And one, as we spoke of, is starring the incomparable Billy D. Williams. Now, we all watched it, 
Um, does anyone want to talk about their favorite parts before I get into it? Well, You're fucking dead! You're fucking dead! <laughs> bookends which we need to talk about uh a little bit but yeah oh let me let, let, let me let's get into this a little bit this is the uh new resident of the pop culture corner the stallone stable okay uh and uh now nighthawks 1981 guys here's the thing it was shot in 79 but it came out in 81 okay apparently there was a lot of production issues all right and stallone had to take over production now, I got to tell you, and Andy can can tell you, I texted him and said, this is almost kind of like French Connection, Popeye Doyle. And then I looked, according to Wiki, this story was actually going to be uh, French Connection 3, but Gene Hackman said no. <laughs> he was smart. And when Gene Hackman drops out, obviously, you get Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Doing his best, like, Serpico impression. Like, he even had, like, he honestly looked a little bit like Pacino. Like, he did. Was, no, that hair was fluffy. Yeah. He had the beard. He had the the, uh, the aviator sunglasses. Now, let me tell you something, guys. This, I, I checked. It has a 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. I buy it's it. It's a beloved film. It's, a, it's, not, it's not great, but it's okay. All right? It's a good programmer. And you've got, you've got a lot, of, there's some good, uh, not only do you have Billy D. Williams, okay, you also got the uh, you've got Rudger Hauer, and then the commissioner Joe Spinell, who was Willie Chichi in The Godfather. Yeah, and he was in Rocky and Rocky Two. Yes, he was. Uh, and he then was the gangster, I think. That yes. Rocky was working. For. Yes, Gazzo. And then he, like, um, he's in Taxi Driver. He's in a lot of '70s stuff. He stars in the movie Maniac as a serial killer. Oh, I've never oh, seen that. One. He's the serial killer in Maniac? I haven't seen that movie yet. That's on the list for this Halloween. Ooh. Yeah, it's uh, very grimy. I mean, just look at the guy. He is sleazy as can be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. Now, here's something else. The director, Bruce Melmoth, is also the ring announcer for the 1984 All-Valley Karate Championship. I knew I recognized him somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> How good! That's a, that's a good little gem right there. All right. Oh, we got a lot of gems. Did yeah. We, did we dig up some Dick Smith? The makeup. There was some great prosthetics on fucking Rutger Hauer, man. Oh, there's uh, some great stuff. Yeah, the young woman in the opening scene who gets blown up real good by Mr. Hauer. That is Catherine Mary Stewart, who went on to star in Night of the Comet and The Last Starfighter. Oh. Ooh. This movie is a treasure trove. Of yeah, this is great. Now, do what about the music? Do anything about the music? Is that cheesy seventies music holdover? Keith Emerson, Keith Emerson of Emerson Lake and Palmer. Rolling Stones is in there. Yeah, Brown Sugar. Yeah, I think we really enjoyed this over Chase's movie. A bit, well, a bit. Yeah, we did. We did. There's, <laughs> did. Something, did. there's something to enjoy about it for sure. Yeah. Like, look in the Chase Nighthawks, they're in a bar, and we have this drivel being read out of a notebook. Whereas in the Stallone Nighthawks, what we have happening in a bar is an epic stare down between Stallone and Howard. Like it's a stare down so epic that Howard like feels the force of that stare from across the room and realizes that this cop is onto him and he's got to book it out of there. 
It's a stare down that lasts 20 minutes. <laughs> I wish, I would watch, I mean, I wouldn't watch a movie that did that, but it did feel like, I mean, I love that, you know? I think they, they had a good chemistry going. Uh, although, yeah, I guess, I don't know, I questioned a little bit why he was the one. De Silva was like his villain guy, <laughs> you know? Like, I don't know, I guess. Maybe just because he didn't like being said, told you're fucking dead. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, so good. Like, it, it made sense that it'd be the British dude. who The British guy I had some fucking problems with. That guy I was like... I don't for it. Oh, yeah, he, he was... was teaching all the wrong lessons to the police and i'm like oh no this is this is where i mean not that we were good at before then but it well was he's like, just putting these metaphorical handcuffs on on da silva and not let him go after the guy let him get him on the street we gotta be on the street here he wants him to stay in the room and be lectured at but the crazy thing to me watching the movie was that uh if we didn't already say it this is a story about a british terrorist who comes to New York City for reasons, and <laughs> he's, this well, interval, he's, not, he's yeah. German. He's German. German. He's, but he yeah, comes yeah. from London. Right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so he, this German terrorist goes to London, blows things up, then goes to New York City to blow things up. But when the Interpol agent or chief, whatever, comes to uh, the New York police department precinct and starts lecturing the officers he's very clear to stallone and the others that they need to treat this guy like a lethal weapon you know like they have to be they have to use deadly force repeatedly in this movie um stallone is trying to like not kill people not kill hostages and like in the subway scene Billy D. Williams is yelling at him, like, take the shot. Rutger right. Hauer has yeah. a woman right yeah. in front of him with a gun to her head. And for the rest of the movie, Billy D. Williams chastises Stallone for not trying to <laughs> shoot the guy. Like, this is a movie where normally the hero cop is somebody who plays by his own rules and takes risks. But this is a movie where he is, like, trying to follow the letter of the law and make sure that no hostages get killed. But everybody around him is telling him, like, people die in these kind of things. Don't worry about it. Just start firing. Right. Hesitation kills. To combat violence, you need more violence. And it's like, yeah, it's it's very much the opposite of what we see Stallone now, certainly. Because, like, it felt like he learned this lesson from the Interpol guy. And then he was like, okay, all my other movies, I'm just going to kill everybody. Yeah, um, Demolition Man grows right out of it. <laughs> Demolition man. Oh man. Okay, I, now that now that we're on it, let's I I I want to ask you guys, what are your besides Rocky and the Rambo series, what are your top Stallone movies? Ooh, besides um, Rocky, which has like three or four of the best movies he's ever done in that series. That's I know, true. I know. Yeah, there even the bad ones are good. Yeah. And Rambo, I would say, I mean, at least the first one is up there, too. Um, Did you see Last Blood? It was incredible. Uh, yeah, that's, that movie didn't have the best portrayal of uh, our friend south of the border. Yeah, sure. I, I did not... I did not see it. Uh, that's the that's the most... The latest one, correct? Yes, right. it's, the la- it's going to be... Yeah. It's the last one. 
Yeah, last I, I mean, I think I know it's not incredible, but Aaron, <laughs> tell me why it's incredible. I don't want to tell you because I don't want. I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to tell you. Okay. I want. Uh, I want. I mean, you have to I see it. Ah, yes. Great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've seen you saw like part. You've seen all the other. You've seen part four where he just you know kills everybody in Cambodia, and then. Yes, I, I think I've seen them all except for Last Blood, okay. but I, I don't remember. Like there was another one that was basically Last Blood already. I thought like basically it se- it seemed like it was the last one, like the comeback. Was it just called? Yeah, that was Rambo. Yeah, Rambo. yeah, just called Rambo. Rambo. Yeah, right. that was the last one I saw. See, yeah, no, it's tough. I was trying to do this, so trying to like think of like that's why you got. I think you got to take the Rockies and the Rambos out. You know, those are good. Like Rambo, the first, the first Blood, is probably one of his best performances. So it's, oh yeah, I you agree. know, but I'm a I'm a over the top guy, cliffhanger. All these movies actually, I saw for the first time in quarantine. I've seen weirdly more Stallone movies this last five months than any other actor. Not sure why. Have you seen Copland? Um, I haven't seen Copland, but my answer for this is my favorite. It's not really his performance. It's Death Race 2000. That's my favorite movie that involves Stallone that's not a Rocky film. Okay. All right. Sure. I might say Tango and Cash. I mean, oh. Stallone and Kurt Russell. What oh, a team. I actually haven't seen that. Oh, Andy. Oh, hey, man. Andy. It's going to last another nine months. you got to get on this before <laughs> yeah. it's Yeah. Why can't Tango and Cash run for president? I'd vote for them. I... I mean, they're better than what we got. Uh, yeah. Fictional characters, great. Now, how how do you feel about what what uh, what's your uh, take on his comedy? Have you seen Oscar and Stop or My Mom Will Shoot? I have seen Stop or Your Mom Will Shoot. That's written by the genius who wrote Save the Cat, the last screenwriting book you'll ever need. <laughs> <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. Oh man, that's like the one movie he's written. And hey, I love Save the Cat, but that is a funny credit to have on your resume. Did you do that in like Mouse Trap or whatever the fuck, Mouse Hunt or something? Um, also, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Mouse Hunt with Nathan Lane. I I mean he did a he did something like that. Oh, he did the blank check. That was it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Disney Channel staple uh, <laughs> mid nineties. Right, he's made a lot. Yes. Well, I think he's dead now, but. Yeah. Uh, Rest in peace, Blake Snyder. Blake something. Mm-hmm. Nailed it. Um, do we like the the romance in this movie? That the woman is Lindsay Wagner. Who, yes. If I was a couple decades older, I would recognize as the six million dollar woman. Yes. Yeah. And uh, she's she also recently pretty... she's in Grey's Anatomy. She's doing. Uh, she plays one of the moms. Oh, dude! I'm only in season eight. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Something to look forward to in season yeah. 23. Man, only uh, only another year of watching this show every day before I finally catch up. <laughs> Why would you do that to yourself? I say that and all of our listeners love that show. It's a great show. Don't hate on Grey's Anatomy. This is my Everest. Like 300 episodes? I'm like a third of the way there. <laughs> it is like your Everest. <laughs> yeah. um, who, who's, your, uh, who's your favorite ship in, in Grey's Anatomy? <laughs> I feel like whoever I say is going to run into a bad time. Uh, I don't want to jinx any of those ships. I want them all to keep sailing happily uh, into the future. 
Wait, what season are you in, you said? Season eight. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I would Ooh. say my favorite ship is Christina Yang and the Human Heart. Okay, I like it. <laughs> like, every time she gets her hands on a heart, like, it's just magic. <laughs> yeah, no, her her and her career is, is my favorite ship. Best own. ship. That's the tragedy. Oh. Ooh, well, you can't have it all, Elliot. We know this. Anything? I, I think uh, you guys you, have you guys heard about Rocky Four director's cut that he wants to do. Taking out the robot. Yeah, I I don't. That's not cool. I like the robot. You know, with uh, getting back to Nighthawks for a second, uh, clearly Which we one? both read the <laughs> getting back to the good Nighthawks for a moment. Uh, clearly, we both perused the Wikipedia page where Stallone talked about. There's one point in the movie where Rutger Hauer pulls a bunch of hostages on this uh, the tram thingy the sky, yeah Skyrim what is it yeah it's like a tra- it's like a sky tram something I can't wait yeah, yeah it's the thing that in Spider-Man yes Goblin tried to destroy but anyway he holds a bunch of hostages there which just seems like a really bad idea because you're you're trapped there along with the hostages you know like you can't just get out under cover of night uh, you're kind of stuck, but regardless, uh, he calls for De Silva to come, and so De Silva goes. He rides a boat underneath the tram, and then a cable is extended down to the boat. Stallone hooks it to his vest and then rides all the way up. And apparently, Stallone did all of that by himself, even though you know the camera is so far back. You can't see if it's him or Al Pacino in Serpico. <laughs> <laughs> That's the dedication he puts in all of his movies. That's why he's a star. Huh? I thought you were going to say something about yeah. the baby. <laughs> or Spike. <Yeah. laughs> um, and he did. Oh, the, the, the bit of trivia on. Did you want to say it or did you want me to? Oh, go for Please. it. Well, they gave him. Uh, a knife because they were telling him that if there's a problem with the cable he can cut himself loose and for him thinking that he said dude like if I if there's a problem with this cable and I cut myself loose I'm not going to survive this plummet down to the water uh, hundreds of feet below so if there's a major problem I might just like you know commit harikari and just end it right there so that's, that's pretty metal. That is metal. That's, uh, you know, I think, well, the most metal thing Chase has done is the boys. But, you know, he definitely could use a little bit more of that. Yeah, he's a little Stallone, you know. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't one elevated trolley car in Chase's Nighthawks. <laughs> I think they got rid of those after Green Goblin. They're like, no, nah, <laughs> This keeps happening. One more thing Norman Osborn has ruined for everyone. <laughs> um, I think, I think... I, I, we have to talk about the bookends of this movie where the, it opens with, you know, what seems like sort of either an older lady or at least sort of, a, you know, a, a woman who's scared and certainly vulnerable in grimy, uh, grimy, gritty New York. And there's like, you know, muggers wearing yeah. and, and closing in. And then they attack and pounce, and it turns out it's fucking Stallone with a mask on 
in in you know a, a get up to look like a woman and that was enough for us just like what the fuck okay we're in that's but then good. Good that's that's the end of the movie too which i, I only saw it coming like like i want to say only like a minute before but i mean i loved it but i'm also like wondering if it's okay like like from a is that trans like is that a a bad like representation of trans like i don't know i don't know i I think it's just going undercover i don't think so undercover and yeah uh, on on the imdb trivia it lists that sylvester stallone does drag in this movie but he doesn't go full (laughs) he's just wearing a wig you know he's just wearing a wig yeah when he's in his house he doesn't even have a mask or anything like, if he turns 360 degrees or 180 degrees yeah. around, like, no. that disguise isn't fooling anyone. At least with the first one, it was out on the city streets at night. So I bought it that, that it was a woman. Like, sure. But especially in the last one, it's like, first I was trying to figure out who this even was because Paula Wagner had been in the movie so little, and apparently they cut out a lot of her scenes. But, yeah, it's he's not trying to embody a woman i would say he's just trying to get the jump on yeah uh, there was there's no issue of representation here um it's like he's trying to trap bugs bunny and dressing up as a giant carrot yeah Yeah, no and i i I agree i i think there was like you know it wasn't like he wasn't in drag and it wasn't i don't think insensitive it was sort of a tactic or you know it was just yeah, he was undercover and sort of hiding, and it's not like no. he ever did a voice or did sort of anything. Um, no. It was just sort of a tool in his playbook, weirdly, yeah. that this was his his go-to move was. To yeah. Well, I mean, this was this was a very so different, great. you know, this is a gritty New York. This was before the Ninja Turtles. There was a lot of crime before them. Before the Ninja Turtles cleaned up New York City, yes, exactly. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. Um, d- like. If this Before was Chicago, McGruff had to buy it out of town. Yeah. <laughs> that was Chicago. Um, oh. Well, I think, well, I mean, he was based in Chicago, but I feel like, you know, he had a lot of dogs in his crew. Um, <laughs> he had a lot of dogs in town. I feel yeah. like Ruff McGruff famously doesn't adhere to his jurisdiction. <laughs> so he, he was like the interpolator. He, he, he makes appearances at schools all around the country. Non-COVID times. Non-COVID times. He's not telling kids, take the shot. Take the shot. Yeah, virtually. There's no security. That was kind of a good line. As is, like... It definitely felt... I don't know. This movie actually felt more like a diehard movie than French Connection. Because, like... I mean, it was too silly to be... I mean, there's a reason... I guess it probably changed with Sylvester Stallone, but if this was exactly what it was when they offered it to... It doesn't make sense as uh, Poppy O'Doyle or whatever his name is. Popeye Doyle. Uh, no, actually, I think it was actually worse <laughs> when was, they gave it to Gene Hackman. It probably was. They I mean, wanted Richard Pryor. Yeah, Richard Pryor. Yeah, I just... I don't, it would have been... It's just like it's a comedy then. So, I don't, I, yeah, I think it would have been worse. Well, yeah, I mean, no. Richard Pryor was in Superman three, and that was far from a comedy. <laughs> That's the tragedy. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, well, did anyone anyone else have a favorite moment that wasn't your fucking dead or the bookends or the stare down? 
Oh, I mean, yeah, that was Elliot's yeah. favorite. Aaron, did you have a favorite moment? No, it was the bookend. That was really my... Yeah, I, I didn't see it coming. I'll be honest. I was really engrossed in this. And I wasn't thinking. Okay, I, mean, I, I gotta say, like, adding on to that stare-down scene, he's <laughs> scanning this bar that's full of, you know, dozens of people dancing around to the Rolling Stones. He's trying to spot somebody in that room. They have, like, a sketch... No, oh, yes. they were shown a picture of what the terrorist <laughs> looked like, and he's had plastic surgery since then. Yeah, so yeah. Understand that like... Plastic surgery. <laughs> yeah, whoever he's trying to find only has a vague resemblance to the drawing that he has in his hand. So he's looking around, he sees all these identical-looking people, but then his eyes narrow down on Rucker Howard, who's at the clear other end of the bar, and he pulls out that pencil sketch, and then he, like... Moosey racers <laughs> yeah. over it and acts like he's yeah. like completely reconstructing the drawing. But and he's like nudging Aaron Billy D. Williams. Is this it? Is this it? That's the guy? If this was a drinking game, every time. I'm watching this movie again. This is great. Like, this is, uh, this is a great, like, Saturday afternoon movie. It's just reply requires minimal thought, minimal investment. It's just a programmer. It's something you can throw on. This is the kind of movie that, like, Charles Bronson did, like Death Wish 4 or whatever. It's just, uh, yeah, it's fun, inconsequential fun. Yeah, I mean, I think the violence stuff is not great, uh, and I wish it wasn't in there, and it, but it's sort of interesting as it does really feel like this sort of turning point in Stallone's career where... I think, did this one not do that well? So he was just like, okay, I need to do more violence and more things or more sequels. Is that sort of, was that part of it? Because like, uh, was it a success? Well, I think First Blood was after this. Yes, and it was, that yeah. that was him getting a little more violent, but then like a couple years later is Rambo First Blood Part Two, and that's when everything went haywire. Right. And then we became expendable, you know. Oh, uh, yeah, great, I mean, good movies. Like, Rocky won Best Picture. Like, that was a serious movie. Right, yeah. This is him. I mean, obviously, he started in Roger Corman movies. But, like, everybody in the 70s started in Roger Corman movies. So that's not that big a deal. But, like, this is one of the movies that took him from being, like, in the Academy Award pool to, like... Hey, I'm just gonna make movies your dad likes. <laughs> Fine with me. Yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of what he did even later, uh, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's a, a fun snapshot. I, I wonder how many people followed through and watched both Nighthawks. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. It's a time capsule. Yeah. Huh. Well, it, it is a very interesting time in Stallone's career, and. And Howard gives a great performance, I think, as well. And it, and it, and it's just it made us laugh, which is nice after Nighthawks. So um, I actually watched them in the reverse order. Ooh. So I I started at a you know good popcorn muncher into like oh my god, how much longer is this? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think we, we both we did that too. Yes, yes. Too. Yeah, we started okay. we started in '81 and went here, but we we switched for the podcast. Uh, gotcha. You got to leave. It's chasing summer, not chasing Stallone. Although maybe it should have been. Uh, but uh, you know, maybe we'll long summer. Yeah, there yeah. it is. 
Um, but I think we've reached the end of the, the rope here. Yeah, I think you know, we did it. Our, our enough vodka sodas for one night. Oh, too many. Um, yeah, too many. Elliot, thank you so much for saving this podcast and coming on and providing the best sound that anyone's ever provided. Yes, thank you. Ooh. <laughs> Uh, where can the people find you in the meantime, Elliot? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Elliot S. Campus. Perfect. Uh, Aaron, where can the people find us? The people can find us at Gossip Guys Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can email us up at gossipguyspodcast at gmail.com. And you can find me at the worst. That is the W U R S S T. And Andy, where can they find you? I'm at Wandering Green, Green with an E at the end. That's on Twitter and Instagram. And I think that'll put Chasing Summer to bed for now because we'll be coming back with The Boys Season 2 Part 2 in October when the show wraps up on Amazon. But uh, we'll have a couple surprises for you both, for you all in the meantime. And for you both, you, <laughs> Elliot and Aaron, don't know what we're doing. Thank I'm you. Really I'm excited. I'm excited for surprises. Yeah, surprises. Huh. It won't be it won't be a Nighthawk surprise. It'll okay, be no. Better drinks, better drinks than vodka soda. Uh, but yeah, until next time, XOXO. Gossip guys. Gossip guys. <laughs>